The following message was recorded as part of the morning worship celebration of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church in Eatonton, Georgia. More information about the ministries, staff, and worship offerings of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church can be found on our website at www.lopc-pca.org. Merry Christmas. Uh, before we get started, let me take this opportunity to thank you, to thank Lake Oconee for your generosity and partnership with us over the years. Uh, you have um, been partnering with us in our work in Brooklyn for, oh gosh, many, many years now. And um, I can easily say that we would not be in Brooklyn and we would not be able to have planted the congregations and trained the church planters uh, that we have without your support. Um, um, of us, and so I am forever grateful uh, to all of you and to your uh, your support over over the years. So, thank you. Let's stand together, would you, as we uh, give our attention to God's word? It's coming from Luke chapter two. I'm going to start at verse 25. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. <clears throat> this is God's word. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought him in, when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up, that is Simeon, and took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a life for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Well, God, now as we open up your word, we pray that you would open up our ears and our eyes, that we would see and hear your truth. And in so doing, we would be comforted by it. But most importantly, God, we pray that you would open up our hearts, that as we come and we listen and, uh, and, and consider your words, we pray that we would be transformed more and more into your likeness, to be the people that you have called us to be. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I don't know about you, but usually around this time of year, I'm just ready to get on with it. The Christmas trees are dying. The kids need to get back in the routine. I need to get back into a routine. Maybe some of the extended family needs to go back home. Not my extended family, but maybe yours. Uh, I am the extended family that probably needs to go back home fairly soon. Um, but this is a, this is a hard time, uh, if we're honest with each other, to consider, again, the claims of Christmas. You know, Christmas started when? November 5th, when you, when you walked into to CVS and first heard that Christmas song, and we're like, wait, we have, you know, it's, didn't we just do Halloween? You know, and there are the Christmas decorations up. And so there's a, there's this, uh, there's a sense in which there might be a little bit of, of burnout when it comes to considering uh, Christmas and, and, and considering a Christmas text like this. You hear, again, the story of the Christ child. And maybe like the, like the trees, like the ornaments, it's getting a little bit old. But as we consider, and as together, maybe for a, a, a long time, for in a while, the, the uh, a Christmas story, the story of the birth of Christ, let's consider again the claims of Christmas. We as Christians, we confess 
that at Christmas, this, the, the reality of Christmas is that God has come in the flesh and he has made his home in our world, in our lives and in, in our hearts. And the world will never be the same again. Because as we see this Christ child being born, we're, we realize and we are confessing that all of God's promises, all the promises that God had made to Israel and to the people and to, to the world in the Old Testament are now coming to fruition. They're now coming to be laid bare in this child, in Jesus. And this type of, uh, that reality, those types of claims, they don't get put away with the ornaments. They can't simply be put away with and moved on as, as we go on to the rest of the year. This kind of news, this news is something we celebrate day in and day out, no matter what the season is. Um, and so it's appropriate, I think, that we look specifically at Simeon because one of the things uh, that, that we see in Simeon's, in this text, is this great hope that Simeon has. And whether you are, uh, whether you consider New Year's Eve a big holiday or not, we live in a culture now where New Year's offers this opportunity, this small hope, which is what? That the coming year is going to be better than the last, right? Whether you make your, uh, your uh, you know, the New Year's resolutions, whether you're, you, you're, it's going to be a big change for you, it's hard to avoid just even a little bit of like, you know, I have hope for 2013. The calendar's changing, and maybe things will be a little bit better. And here we have a text that is all about hope. And so it's good for us, it's good for us to consider it again. And one of the things you, one of the things you realize, especially in, in Luke's accounts of the, the, the birth of Christ, is that it's, it's really doing two things. On one level, it's, it's, it's asking us to, to uh, it's asking us to believe that these things really happen, right? Luke goes into great detail. Who was governor? Who, you know, why people are, are moving around when they did. There's, there's great detail, and, and it's asking us to say, look, you need to believe that this happened in a real time, in a real place. This child really was born, and these promises really were fulfilled. But even on a deeper level, the, text, the, 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 Christ, the, the birth narratives are asking us to put all of our hope into this reality. So whether it's Zechariah and Elizabeth, whether it's Mary and Joseph, whether it's the shepherds, the magi, Simeon, as we're going to look at this morning, or Anna after Simeon and, and Luke's narrative, they see, they come in contact, they bear witness to the birth of Christ, and they put all of their hope into this child. All of their hope for their lives and for the world are on this child. And the question that's asked of us is, is this where your hope is? Is this in whom you're putting your hope, this child? This, this child in a manger. It was for Simeon, and it ought to be for us. And so this morning, we're going to consider uh, this theme, that Christmas is an invitation to reorient our hopes onto the promises of God. Christmas is an invitation to reorient our hopes, to redirect our hopes onto the promises of God for his, uh, as he promises to redeem the world. So that's what we're going to look at. And as we consider this theme of hope, I want us to consider that this is a different kind of hope than what we're so often, uh, so often used to. This isn't hoping for a better year. This isn't hoping that we, you know, we got what we wanted for Christmas. This is a deeper hope. And if we can be a people who have the hope that, that Simeon does, that, that the rest of these uh, um, Luke and narratives tell us, if we can have this kind of hope, then we're going to be people who are able to navigate our present realities with, we're going to be able to navigate them. We're going to be able to deal with the sorrows and the great joys and the frustrations, no matter what it is. 
We'll be able to move through them in this world because we have this kind of hope. So let's look at Simeon's hope. We're introduced to Simeon uh, in in verse 25. We read this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So there we are. We're introduced to Simeon. He's righteous. He's devout. And what's he doing? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. In other words, he's waiting for God to act on his promises because Simeon's world, much like our world, is not as it ought to be. Simeon is one of the, one of the few who's waiting now and waiting for God to move. Israel is a shadow of its former self. Because for generations now, other nations have, been, have, have risen up. First it was Assyria, then it was the Babylonians. Now the Romans are in power, and they have wrought havoc on Israel. Israel now is a shadow of its former self. Mainly because Israel was supposed to put their hope in Yahweh. They were supposed to be putting their hope in the promises of God throughout the generations, and they had grown impatient. They had grown tired of waiting for God to come through on what he had said. So Israel, as a nation, had put their hopes in all sorts of other powers, all sorts of other gods, all sorts of other kings. And consequently, God had raised up all these other nations, all these other uh, powers, and said, you can, this, if this is what you want, then have at it. So now here's Israel, shadow of its former self, and now here's Simeon, waiting for the consolation of Israel, still clinging to these promises that God is going to deliver. God's going to come through, and he's actually really going to do something. And then we learn uh, at the, in verse 26, what? That he's been given a promise. So here's Simeon. He's holding on to these promises of the Old Testament that God's going to come through, but he's also been told something. He's been told that, that in his lifetime, before he dies, he is going to see the Lord's Christ. He's going to see the Lord's Christ. So now imagine Simeon's life. Imagine this great hope and expectation, but this, this reality for him that he now is going to see the Christ. And now he's got to wait and he's got to hope that God really will do what he has promised to do. He's holding out hope. He's holding on uh, to a promise. Day after day, living outside the temple, waiting for God to come through. Then in verse 27, uh, we read this. And he came in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So Luke goes out of his way to tell us that Simeon has been hanging out by the temple. Which means this, Simeon's been given this promise, and now he's adjusted his entire reality, his entire life, around the reality and the hopes that this promise is going to come to fruition, and so he goes to the temple. And he waits. He's waiting not just, uh, he's waiting with great expectation. And he knows where to wait. He knows where to look for God to come through on his promises. It's at the temple. So day after day, week after week, year after year, he's at the temple and he's watching sacrifices being made. He's, he's practicing this kind of hope, being reminded day after day of the promises God had made. As he would see a sacrifice, as he would see people come in and, 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 and offer these offerings before God. He's being reminded and he's, and he's, and he's kindling this hope that he has. So he's hoping with great expectation as he pays attention to the temple. And this is what happens when we've been given a big promise, right? You adjust your entire life around the reality of this promise, this hope. Everything now, everything now circles around the promise that he's been given. Then in verses 28 through 32, we have um, uh, 
Simeon takes Jesus in his arms and, and uh, offers this blessing to God, which is, uh, in, throughout church history, this has been known as the Nunc Dimittis. This is the song that's been sung for, for centuries. It says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So now Simeon is beginning, Simeon is beginning to sing and to celebrate because the dawn of salvation has come, right? And notice how big Simeon's hope is in God's salvation. Notice the arena in which he sees God coming through on his promises. It's not just for Israel. It's for the world. It's for the, it's for the Gentiles. See, it would have been easy for Simeon to focus, okay, this promise has come, and it would have been easy for Simeon now just to focus on Israel. Finally, here's this Christ child, and he's going to make everything right for Israel. We've been waiting. This is our Savior, our King, and it belongs to, he belongs to us. But that's not what Simeon does, right? Because the glory of the Christ couldn't be hidden away in a manger just for a few, uh, a few uh, reverent people to see. Simeon starts hoping for the consolation of Israel, as we saw in the beginning of the passage. And by the end of this blessing, by the end of this song, he's saying, this is for the world. This is a light for the Gentiles. This is happening before all people. And so his hope has broadened his, his expectations of what God is going to do in his promises. This is the Gentiles' promised light. And then lastly, this is where this text gets a little dark, a little strange. Uh, Simeon turns his attention to Mary and Joseph, who are now marveling at what Simeon is saying about their child. And he says this in verse 34, uh, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. See, Simeon realizes, and what Simeon has been hoping for, is not just, a, not just a baby Jesus, but for King Jesus, right? And he knows that the kind of claims that have been made, the kind of promises that God has made that a king would come and rescue not just Israel but the world means that there's going to be conflict with all sorts of other powers, with all, with all sorts of principalities in, in the world. What Simeon was longing for was someone like David who could defeat Goliath, who could, who could, uh, who could lead Israel and the nations uh, on conquests. And what he realizes and what he knows is that this, this king, this child, is going to be a greater David. So Simeon has put all his hope in this child. Simeon is longing for, he knows what Israel needs. Israel needs someone like King Solomon, someone who can bring peace and prosperity like no one else could, someone who has wisdom beyond what anyone could, ex could expect. Right? But like David... And Solomon, they couldn't bear the weight of the hopes, right? They failed. But Simeon knows that this king, this king is going to be the greater Solomon. He's going to be the one that's going to bring peace and prosperity, not just to a nation in Israel for a, a, a time, but to the world for all of eternity. And so Simeon has put his hope into this king. And Simeon knows, Simeon knows that this is going to mean conflict, right? And we're going to see conflict. You'll see conflict played out in the life of Jesus, right? Because he's going, he's going, Jesus is going to be in conflict with the political powers uh, of his time, right? Caesar is in charge. Herod is in charge. And they're the ones that bring protection. They're the ones that, that have taxes paid to them. They're the ones with the power. 
And if Jesus is going to be king, he's going to be in conflict with them. And it's, and it's to this, and it's to Mary and Joseph who don't even have enough money to pay their taxes. It's to them that this king is born. It's into this world that he comes. And Simeon has put all his hope in him. And we're going to see that Jesus is going to be in conflict, not just with the political powers, but with the religious powers of the day. Look, the high priests, they knew what to expect. They had read their Old Testament. They knew that Messiah was coming. They had their hopes too. And their hope is that when Messiah came, he was going to make everything right for Israel, and they were finally going to be in power. And they were going to take, give it to the Romans. They were going to get out from under their thumb, and they were going to rule and reign. And then they were going to be able to, they knew their law. They were going to be able to read with every jot and tittle the Old Testament law, and they were going to be able to get right with God. And they were going to, they were going to finally be in a place where they had longed to be. And this child is born to Mary and Joseph who can't even make a proper sacrifice. It says in the, in the verses right before this that they, they come offering pigeons because that's all they could afford. And this child is born to them and he's the one that's going to bring real peace. He's going he's to be the one to bring salvation unlike any of these other kings, any of these other rulers. And Simeon, Simeon puts his hope in them. So again, the question for us as we consider this text is this in whom we are putting our hope? And if it is, maybe the more important question is, how do we have hope like Simeon's? How do we become a people of hope who, who, uh, who hope the way Simeon did? With expectation and, um, and with, great, with great joy. And the answer really is this. We have to practice it. We have to practice this kind of hope. So the, remember our theme, uh, Chris, Christmas is an invitation to redirect our hopes onto the promises of God. We have to do some redirecting, right? Because the, the reality is we're humans, and therefore we do hope. Any psychiatrist, uh, any philosopher, uh, anyone can tell you, we all know that what, one of the things that separates humans from any other animal or any other creature is that we have hopes. We hope all the time. You hope all the time. You have all sorts of hopes. The question for us is, on whom and, and, and what are we, are, we, are we resting our hopes? I learned the reality and the importance of hope as we were, uh, in the days after Hurricane Sandy, um, one, of the things that, one of the things that we did is we, we located a, uh, a, 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 a group of uh, buildings, a government-owned buildings that were, you know, 22 stories uh, tall, had hundreds and hundreds of units in them, and mostly, mostly elderly folks who spoke Russian um, we're living there. This is right by JFK Airport, if you've ever flown in and out, uh, by Rockaway Beach. And so we get there, and, and, and there were all sorts of donations coming in, but there's no way to get, the, uh, there was no power, so the elevators weren't working, so there's no way to get up and down uh, the, there's no way to get to, to, these folks could get, you know, the basics, the water and the, and the canned goods there. Uh, and so uh, we, with a bunch of other folks, just start showing up and start hoofing, hoofing up the stairs, uh, up you know, the 22 flights, the 19 flights, to start delivering the, the food and the water to these, um, to these elderly folks. And one of the things that you realize is that while the water was important and the food was important, what we were really doing was giving them hope. Because until that time, they had thought that they had been forgotten. And they didn't know when the power was coming back on. No one could give them any sort of answers. And they were left in the cold just wondering, you know, has, how are we going to survive? And so they were grateful for the water. They were grateful for the food. But having people come in and just hand them bottled water 
and say, we're going to be back, and there's other teams coming behind us, that gave them hope. And, they could, and even though we couldn't tell them when the power was coming back on, they were able to move on. They were able to, they were able to, to last another day and another week, time and time again. We all so desperately need hope, and we all have hope. The reality is that we go about putting our hope in all sorts of things and all sorts of people that can't bear the burden and the weights of our hopes. And you know this. If you put all of your hopes on your children, you will crush them. If you put all of your hopes for your life on your spouse, you will crush them. If you put all of your hopes in your job or in your bank account or in whatever else there is, it it can't bear the weight of your hopes. It cannot do it. And so we have to practice hope. And the good news is, we are doing the best way, the, the best thing we can do to practice having hope, and it's worship. When we come into worship, we are practicing how to have this kind of hope. We gather, we gather every week, and we, we take great hope in the fact that God has called us into worship. No matter our background, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, He is faithful, and He calls us to worship, and so we put great hope in that. We need to be reminded how glorious and true uh, the, the gospel is, and so we sing about it. And so we, we take great hope as we sing and put words to music and delight in who he is and what he's done for us. Right? We practice this kind of hope when we confess our sins, knowing that we have not been the, the kind of people that God has called us to be. And no matter what we've done during the week, God is faithful and just to forgive us. And so we take great hope that this is the God that's calling us into worship. And then we have great hope that he's given us a mission, that he's given us a purpose as his people. And so we are sent out with hope that this God is not just active here on Sunday mornings, but he is active in our neighborhoods, in our, uh, in our lives, and in our families each and every day, each and every hour. So worship is actually the best place week in and week out to practice this kind of hope because the reality is we forget all the time. And we are casting our hopes on all sorts of other things throughout the week. And each, each time we gather together, we're doing the very thing we're talking about. We're redirecting our hopes. Just like Simeon. Simeon hanging out at the temple, being reminded of the sacrifices, reminding of the truth of who God is. That's what we're doing here. And if we can be a type of people that practice reorient, reorienting our hopes, just like Simeon in worship, then a few things are going to, be, are going to happen. One is we're going to be able to hope with patience. One of, the great, one of the reasons why we lose hope is that we lose patience, right? Israel had lost patience, and so they lost hope. So one of the beauties of, of coming in and, and worshiping each week is we're reminded, and it, it stirs us, and it gives us, a, it gives us a little bit more endurance, that we can be patient as we wait on God to come through on what he's promised, just like Simeon. Secondly, our hopes are going our, our to expand our world, right? Remember, Simeon starts with the consolation of Israel. By the end, he's talking about the light of the Gentiles. His focus is on the world. One of our struggles is our, that so oftentimes our hopes don't ever get past our own lives and, and our own day because we're so focused on that. We're trying to get through the day. But this kind of hope, this kind of hope that's, that, that's focused on God's promises. This kind of hope is going to broaden our horizon. One of the things we do in Brooklyn when we're uh, getting a group together, a, a launch team, and we're about to plant a church, we, we, that group, that the launch team spends time not just talking about what their hopes are for the church, not just what they want to see happen in the next five years, but what are your hopes for the neighborhood? 
And so we spent a lot of time talking about what are your hopes on, on these streets, on, on these corners? What do you want to see happen? And so we write that down and we talk about them. And then we begin to pray for them and they begin to take shape. And we begin to have great hope expecting God to work in mighty ways uh, in, in these neighborhoods. And so it broadens our hope. As we watch the news and, 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 and see so, so oftentimes so, things that sound so depressing and, and, and things that never seem to change. We are called to be a people with this kind of hope because we know that God has come and he's moved into our world. And he's at work even now. And lastly, lastly, we're going to be a people who, uh, um, who hope with great certainty. Because of whom we're putting our hope in. Because the, Jesus, the one in, in whom we're supposed to be putting our hope, he can be trusted. Did you notice that Simeon, the last thing he says in our text to Mary is that, is that this promise, it's going to be a sword that's going to pierce your soul. Because Simeon knows, Simeon knows that Mary is going to watch her own son, Jesus, die on a cross. Because the kingdom, the king and his kingdom, they're not coming by conquest, they're coming by the cross. He's going to die for the sins of his people. He's going to die for the sake of the world. He's going to die for you and I, and he's going to be raised again. And because of that, because of that, we can be people of great hope. Here, finally, is the king, this Christ child, who can bear the weight of all of our hopes. All of your hopes, put them on Jesus. Put them on him. You're going to be asked today. You're going to be asked tomorrow. You're going to be asked coming into the new year. You're going to be invited by people, by all sorts of other objects and things to, to put your hope on those. Do the work this year of practicing this kind of hope, of reorienting, of redirecting your hopes each and every day onto the only one who can bear the weight. And it's Jesus. It's this King. Let's do that this year. Let's do it with great hope and expectation. Let's pray. Oh God, we do pray that as we enter a new year, we do have great hopes. And so I pray, God, that as we, um, we move out from the holiday season and back to uh, the natural routine of our lives, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, make us people who have hope like Simeon, that's patient, that is broader and uh, wider than our own lives, and that rests on the great certainty that we have a great King who can bear the weight of all of our hopes because you, in fact, are going to come through on your promises. So God, we pray that we would be a people who have that kind of hope and then take that hope out into the world. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.